This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Good evening. As I look around the room this evening, I see a lot of faces I think who know who I am. But there's some that don't. So let me introduce myself. I'm Father Bob Murray, and I'm a faculty member in our Department of Education and Counseling. And this evening, I have the privilege of facilitating this panel discussion as we begin our second annual Education and Counseling Week. Let me just speak about what this week is about. Education and Counseling Week is relatively new in the life of our department. As a department, we envision this week to be an opportunity for all of us who are very committed to the disciplines of education and counseling to invite our Villanova community and even those beyond the community to a discussion on a specific topic that intersects both counseling and education. As you know, the theme this year is that of empowering youth. The theme was selected because we're very cognizant of the fact that we're living in a culture that too often has witnessed our youth turning to violence and aggression as a means to dealing with life's hurts and frustrations. Unfortunately, youth violence in our schools and our communities is too real. I'm sure that you would agree with me that the PowerPoint slides that greeted each one of us this evening are, to say the least, quite sobering. But what's also equally real are the many efforts that have been made to address this negative trend. Our department envisions this week as an opportunity for educators and counselors to, if you will, take the temperature of how well our schools and communities are doing in addressing this trend always with an eye toward the goal of creating both schools and communities where healthy relationships enhance our culture in which learning and growing now becomes the norm. We begin this week, this evening, with an interactive panel discussion featuring a parent, a school counselor, a school superintendent, and a student youth organizer who has generously volunteered this evening to come together and to share their experiences with violence and nonviolence, as well as their suggestions for nurturing healthy relationships <coughs> among youth and creating systemic structures that support those healthy relationships in our community. Allow me a few moments to introduce our panel, starting from your left to right. Uh, first is Lisa Abate. Lisa describes herself as a job coach with the Chester County Intermediate Unit Discovery Program. Lisa, I did some homework on what that is. Okay. Uh, this discovery program <coughs> offers students an integration of classroom and pre-vocational instruction with on-the-job training. Uh, Lisa, I'd say even more importantly, is a mother of two grown children, ages 20 and 17, both of whom had special needs growing up. And as a committed mom, she found herself heavily involved in, in parent organizations to support her sons in the school. Next to Lisa is Andy Mullen. Andy is a familiar face, should be a familiar face to the Villanova community. He graduated from our counseling program, how many years ago? Uh, in 2000. 2000, a long time ago. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Andy is a graduate of Lafayette College in psychology, our Villanova master's program. He worked nine years in Valley Forge Middle School in the Tradition East Town School District, and now he's finishing his first year in Conestoga High School as a counselor. And I think that's um, Lisa and Andy met 
when he was working in the middle school. Next to Andy is Dr. Merle Horowitz. We could spend the rest of the evening going through her CV. Incredibly impressive. Dr. Horowitz is in her seventh year as a superintendent of the Marple Newtown School District in Delaware County. She's been an educator for 38 years and an administrator for 25 years in Delaware County School Districts. This year, she is the chair of the chief of, uh, the chair of chief school administrators in Delaware County. Uh, Merle has been an adjunct professor at Villanova since 1995. She hasn't taught with us in a couple of years. She received her doctorate at the University of Pennsylvania studying email harassment in educational institutions. Next to Merle is Alicia Duncan. Alicia is a student representative of the Philadelphia Student Union. The Philadelphia Student Union is an organization that exists to really empower young people to, uh, to demand a high quality education in our Philadelphia school system. They are a youth-led organization and they make positive changes in the short term by learning how to organize and to empower one another. They also work toward, be toward becoming lifelong learners and leaders in the community. And so we welcome you, Alicia. Thank you. Uh, why don't we begin by welcoming all of our panel. Now, so that we're all on the same page, I would hope our evening would progress at the following. Each one of our panelists has been asked to reflect with us on three questions. Uh, the first is, what has been your relationship to this evening's topic of empowering youth? How did you find yourself getting interested in this in a personal level? <coughs> My second question is, in your, opinion, in your opinion, what have been effective measures in our schools and communities that have helped to address this particular issue? What's working, in your opinion? And third, since we're speaking to future counselors and teachers, what would you recommend to teachers and counselors for empowering our youth and for addressing violence and bullying in our society? After each one of our panelists uh, give, shares their perspective, you have the opportunity to write a question. On the tables, you probably see those uh, sheets of paper. And I would simply ask, as they're speaking, if a particular person or question comes to your mind, to fill it out. And we'll have two of our faculty members collect them. Um, you can direct the question to a particular panelist, or you can direct it to all of them. Okay. So if we could formally begin, Lisa, if you would take the mic. <coughs> you don't have to use it, I don't think. Uh, Does she have to use it? No, you no. don't have to. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I told my son, I have two sons, one's 20, one's 17, and they are both on the autism spectrum disorder, or they, they're on the spectrum. And I told my son, my youngest one, that I was going to a conference about bullying, and I wanted to know what his first thoughts were. And he said, the seventh grade Williamsburg trip. And in seventh grade, the whole seventh grade of Valley Forge Middle went, and I went as a chaperone, and I was responsible for four girls and four boys. And um, my son's glasses were taken from him, and they were not given back until he said, please. <coughs> the same child drew all over his pants, and in a museum, he continued to poke and prod at him. Unfortunately, his mother was there and did absolutely nothing for him, and her comment was, these kids need to learn on their own. Um, but it, he remembered it, and that was his seventh grade experience, and it happened all through middle school. Um, 
what I found is that there's a pecking system in this where the weak pick on the weaker, the weak pick, up, pick on the weakest, and then my son, who was that, would explode. When he exploded, all the other kids had scattered and he was left being the one in trouble and having to resolve it. Um, he wasn't physically bullied ever, he was verbally bullied. And it started in elementary school all the way through middle school. Um, and it was done when adults weren't around. Um, he would end up in the principal's office or the resource room trying to de-escalate and, and talk through it. He was very smart and able to understand what occurred and how to resolve it. And luckily he had really good principals and guidance counselors throughout those times. Um, during that time, what I found as adults, we needed to validate how kids felt, what occurred, and walk them through what happened and why it happened. Um, there was a lot of pent-up anger, and there still is, and I continue to have to walk him through it and make him understand that what happened to him wasn't right, but we need to let go and move on. And once that feeling is validated, he felt like he had someone to listen to, or that listened to him and went to, and he felt better about himself and was able to, to move on. Um, there were issues in elementary school where other kids would follow him around and the principal would try to help and she would call a parent and ask this parent to please come in and talk about her son because her son was following other students. And the parent said to her, or said to me, to, she was a neighbor two doors down, there was nothing wrong with my son before your son came to the school. I'm not going to do anything about it. What I have found in this in, for years is if the parents don't support what the school does, as much as the school does, it's not as effective. It needs to be a, a team effort. Everybody needs to understand what the school's doing. Parents need to follow through what you guys are trying to accomplish, and it's much more effective. Um, with the kids, and I did this at home, if they know how to self-advocate, if they know they can go to their resource room or their guidance counselor and they can talk it out, it, it does a world of good. They know someone is there to listen. Um, the measures, as I said, the most effective measure for Nick was knowing he had someone to speak with regarding the bullying. Um, the other thing that was really effective in middle school was peer mediation. And what he did is he put his questions in, and it was in a box, and then the, the guidance counselor would then pull in the other peers, and they would discuss it, resolve the issues between the two students, and that was it. I know with boys it seemed to be one and done. They got over it. Girls, I understand, are a little <coughs> bit more involved. I can't speak to that. I'm glad. Um, it was enough just with the boys. Um, and the other thing they started, and it was towards the end of Nick's time in middle school, was an anti-bullying program. Again, also very effective. I think the awareness of the bullying is um, prevalent nowadays as compared to back then. Um, but I think it was effective because in high school, there has not been any bullying that I am aware of. He knows how to resolve it, and he has not come home with any issues. I think the middle school was the hardest part for him, and I think he, he got through it. Um, this, the school, the effective part was um, the school addressing, bull addressing bullying with the students as well as the parents. I think both sides, the, the kids that are bullying as well as the kids that have been bullied, 
the parents need to be aware of it and how can they help support that in the school environment and how can it be carried through at home. Um, and I saw that with my own experience with, with my neighbor where nothing was done and, and that students still continue to struggle. They don't even talk. Um, my recommendation, um, awareness of bullying is needs to continue to be a discussion. I know with the funding with the schools, guidance counselors are, are reducing in middle school. I don't know if that's a good idea, but I know it's being put on teachers. If the awareness is there, if the constant conversation is being addressed, um, if their kids' feelings are validated and someone is there to understand what they're going through or help them walk through what they're going through, I think it's huge. Um, constant, constant conversation and dealing with the parents and making them aware of how terribly important it is and working as a group I think is successful. It's been successful with us. Um, last year my son had to write a paper and what he spoke about was his middle school and it was the darkest and brightest years of school and what he wrote is middle school I consider to be the worst and best years of my life as of today. I do not think I would be alone in holding this opinion. Everyone removes the mask of innocence that was clamped tightly on their face and their true self is shown, whether for better or worse. People define themselves as a few things and find others who are the same. For example, nerds flock with nerds, jocks with jocks, etc. Middle school revealed my tenacity through the constant harassment of bullies, but I also met my greatest friend. For all of middle school, I was the butt of everyone's joke. I was the person who would stand out in a crowd, making me seem like an easy target for bullies. They were right about an easy target. For the most part, it seemed as if I had a target on me. Every little thing that the bullies could think of managed to get me to erupt like Mount St. Helens times 10. I never seemed to figure out that it was the reaction I gave was fuel for them to keep going. It got to the point where most everyone was picking on me. I say most because there was one person I met in fifth grade who managed to help in a way that I am sure he does not realize. This person was my greatest friend. Until I met him, I had no true, fr true friends and pathetic self-esteem. After my guidance counselor, Mr. Mullen, introduced us to one another, my life started to look up. I began to feel a tad better about myself. I knew I had one friend to back me up when I was down. He actually accepted me, so I know he won't read this, but I don't care. Thank you. So middle school, it is awful, but for me, it gave me two things. It gave me realization that everyone needs help. It also gave me the thing I desired most, a true friend. Sure, I was still bullied, but I knew that I still had a friend beside me. They say bullying is a cycle. For me, for a time with me, it was. But one person has the power to change that. One true friend will allow you to see the bright side of things in the darkest of nights without a flashlight or shelter. Middle school is indeed the best and worst years of my life as of today. So I just think the, the conversation, the dialogue, the validation of feelings are just truly important. And as guidance counselors, I think you're the go-to people. And just keep an open eye. Thank you, Lisa. <coughs> Um, it's great to be here tonight. I hope you can all hear me without the microphone. Um, I have high blood pressure, so if my face turns red, someone just tell me, okay? That's a joke. It's already red. <laughs> ah, sorry. Um, okay. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry. 
Um, okay, so Father Murray said, um, you know, empowering youth. And that got me thinking, like, okay, what, what does that actually mean? And how does that relate to me as a guidance counselor? So empowering youth, as I'm defining it on my own without any research or anything, um, is just a sense of control over their environment, a sense of being that they, they can affect their future, that they're, they're not just floating out there and don't have any say in it. So that's what empowering youth is. And connected to that is, I think, the necessity for a couple components. One of them is they have to have some level of confidence in order to feel empowered. And if you have a sense of confidence, then I think the next logical step would be a healthy uh, self-esteem. So this all wraps into the whole bullying thing because obviously, maybe, maybe not, if you have confidence and you have self-esteem, I think A, you're probably less inclined to bully someone because you just don't need that. And B, if you're walking with your head high with confidence and self-esteem, you're a less likely target for bullying. So as counselors, I think those are some areas that, that we already focus on and should continue to do so, but I never really thought of it in the context of empowering and how that impacts bullying really until tonight, so this was kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> so as counselors, we have to help them with those two things and developmental guidance and blah, 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 and all that's really great. But you have to know your kids. And if you know your kids, you're then in a better position to help them. I can't, that's not the topic of tonight, but it's like a soapbox thing for me. You have to know your kids. And if you do, then when they need your help, you, you can help them in a really good and effective way. Um, so the first thing you can help them with and that we can all help them with is forming their identity. I feel like that's the foundation for confidence and self-esteem. And I'm gonna speak specifically to the middle school level because that's where I have more of my experience. And when they get to middle school, they have no idea which way is up. They are totally clueless and they have no idea, for the most part, what they like, what they're good at, what they don't like. And it's, you know, some kids do. Some kids are, I'm a jock, I play lacrosse, I play basketball, that's easy. Or I'm a musician and I'm awesome at it, that's easy. It's all these other kids that aren't amazing at something that are kind of like floating around, like looking around, where do I fit in on this whole thing? And as counselors, what we need to do is, like I said, A, look at that kid, get to know that kid and build a rapport with them and figure out, all right, what, what can I help this kid with? What might he be good at or what might he have an interest in? And then we need to direct him towards that thing. You call the student in and say, hey, Bobby, you know what? There's a new Frisbee club that's starting. I think you'd be great at that. Why don't you give it a go? Oh, maybe, Mr. Mon, okay. And off he goes. It might work, it might not. But as counselors, we're at the hub of these schools. We know everything that's going on, or we should. And that puts us in a spot where we can know the kid, know the school, and hook them up with the, with the correct resources so they can start to build and form that identity that is so, so crucial to, to everything, including not being bullied, but just to their future in general. Because as you may know, what happens is, or what can happen, if they don't constructively and, and you know, like on purpose form their own healthy identity, if that's not successful, they're more apt to choose one of these other identities that come off a shelf that aren't as healthy. Drug and alcohol, being a bully, whatever. Those are hats anyone can put on. Those groups are always looking for new members. And so we need to prevent that from happening by helping them with this identity. 
And that's really one of the coolest parts about being a middle school counselor is you've got a blank slate and all these cool resources at, at your disposal to connect with these students. And um, so I think that's one of the most important things to do. Um, one story sticks out in my mind, and that is there was this girl, I think she was a sixth grader at the time, and the girl dynamics in middle school are outrageous, or can be, over the top. And so she was all fine one day, and the next day all the girls decided to hate her, and she was uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and this girl was left out in left field without a friend in the world. And like Lisa and Nick's, Nick's essay indicate, if you don't have a friend in middle school, you are in a horrible spot, and you are not feeling good, and life is not pleasant. And so what this girl did, we were talking and trying to troubleshoot, well, what we can do, and she said, you know, I've always wanted to like raise money for this cause, and I don't remember what it was. I think it was some form of cancer. It doesn't really matter. Um, and she goes, I'd like to sell lemonade at, uh, at the games. I was like, Jennifer, awesome. That's a great idea. Let's do that. So as counselors, we're in a spot, again, where we can get approval for it, get the lemonade stand, <clears throat> make this a reality so this kid can sink her teeth into a really productive situation or opportunity. And then the other kids are looking at her like, wow, I kind of was a jerk to her, and she doesn't seem to care, and she's doing something really cool that I wish I had done, and all of a sudden, she's on top again, and life is good. And it's these little opportunities, these teaching moments or counseling moments, I guess we could call them, that present themselves that it's really, really neat when you can catch it and do something about it. Um, the other thing that I think is so important to this confidence and self-esteem little pyramid that I was constructing um, is respecting the kid's journey into adulthood. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, and this kind of dovetails with what Lisa was saying a little bit, that the parents don't get that their kids are older and that they're actually little mini young adults with opinions and thoughts and beliefs that are valid and need to be listened to. So parents, and Lisa did a great job and always has of this, need to listen to their kids and realize that developmentally and cognitively they're changing and growing and they need to respect that and send a message to their kid that yes, I get it. I may not like agree with everything you say or we may not do everything you suggest, but I'm going to listen and I'm going to be an active listener for you and at least you know, show that respect to the kids. They'll so often come in, my mom just thinks I'm a baby. They don't listen to me at all, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's, it's just another cool spot as a counselor where you can be that trusted adult that's an active listener that makes a difference just because you're there to listen and validate what their thoughts and beliefs might be. Um, so the next thing that I think is part of this, this important essential pyramid is empathy, is building their level of empathy. And that is so critical, especially at middle school, because they have absolutely none. That's why they can be so mean to each other and not even care about it, or seem not to care, or not get it. They can do the worst things to kids, and they're just like, what, I, I didn't know like, that was going to be so bad. You know, like, <laughs> and it's really funny. But that was like my valley girl, well, never mind. Um, okay, so <clears throat> they neglect to think about the consequences of their actions. So <clears throat> when something happens that is totally inappropriate, totally a, a case of bullying, the counselor can be there to help put a different lens for that student and say, listen, when you called them that, this is how they felt, and this is what your actions did. And they'll be, it's really an eye-opening thing, as obvious as it may be. When you called her fat and ugly, you hurt her feelings. They seriously sometimes don't know that, you know? Um, and so I think that's where we can, we can play a role in this, in this building of empathy but something else that I think is critical is 
through community service. It's like in middle school, kids can think that their life is horrible and no one else has it as tough as them and they're sitting in middle school in Wayne, Pennsylvania, you know? You know, my life is horrible, everything is terrible. <clears throat> and then, you know, you can do some community service. As a counselor, you can be in a position to spearhead one of these projects where you bring students with learning disabilities in and let our students work with them. It's, it's like an eye-opener reality check. Um, some other things we did was we did Philly's, Philly Cares where we would bring kids from our school into the city and they would work. They would work at a school and like clean it up and see what it's like. And it's just empathy, it's eye-opening, it's like you know the world doesn't revolve around you type of thing. And I'm talking about this again because with that empathy, I think you'd see a reduction in bullying behaviors. And if you're a victim of bullying and you have this empathy, you might be in a position to be a little more resilient and say, you know what? Yeah, that kid was really mean to me, but I kind of get why they were so mean to me. Like maybe their parents are divorced or maybe something's going on, so I'm not gonna let it bother me so much. So that's the whole um, empathy and nurturing component. Um, I hope I'm not saying too much stuff. The positive communication skills. This is an obvious one that we would be doing anyway, but I do think it ties in to confidence and I do think it ties into self-esteem. Students typically, until they're older, don't know really how to effectively communicate. They'll come in and talk to you and say, my mom is such a jerk, blah, blah, blah. She won't even let me go out past 10 at the mall with my friends. Like a fifth grader, you know? <clears throat> Uh, so, and to teach them communi communication skills would be essential. Well, you know, Susie, um, perhaps you could explain to your mom why you feel it's appropriate to go in or to stay out that late, and maybe, maybe you should be aware of your tone and the fact that you're rolling your eyes at your mom. Maybe she doesn't think that's as cool as you do. Um, you know, <clears throat> things like that. Um, <clears throat> giving the kids the tools and the words to use to communicate effectively is really cool, when it works, and it does work. You know, if they can communicate to their parents why they want something and lay out some reasonable, you know, some reasons why they should have X, Y, or Z, and then they get it, they actually get the thing they want, they're like, that was sweet. Okay, I'm gonna communicate more and not just cry and slam my door. So communicating is important for the developmental aspects of middle school, but also for bullying and peer relations. They're in a better position to handle that. You know, if someone is giving them a hard time or if someone is dealing with them or interacting with them in a way that they don't like, it's like assertiveness, it's, it's communication, it's they can communicate and they can make things better for themselves because they know how to do that. Um, and the last thing I'd like to touch on is what Lisa also mentioned is self-advocacy. This is like, I think the empowerment train stops here. Like if you can teach a kid or get them accustomed to a, identifying a problem, B, isolating or identifying the different resources that are at their disposal, and then C, having the confidence or the self-esteem to access those resources, that's the ultimate in empowerment. Something was totally messed up, they figured out how to fix it, and then they followed through and did it. Wow, what a self-esteem and confidence booster. So as counselors, that, that self-advocacy is something that we can nurture and encourage and help really guide them towards. Um, and that could be something as simple as, hey, you know what, you have a problem with that teacher? How about you go talk to them at your lunchtime? Oh, okay. You know, and it, and it, it takes a long time, but it's really, um, it's really important. So I think all those things that I just mentioned kind of, they roll into confidence, self-esteem, which with the bigger heading is empowerment. Um, that's what I think. <laughs> so. Thank you.
as I mentioned at the outset, if you find yourself with a question for any of our panelists as we're going along, and I'll ask Dr. Schusler and Connor if um, you would just walk around and collect those questions, okay? You could just pass them to the end of the table, okay, if something comes up. Right. Good evening, everyone. It's a, a pleasure to be back at Villanova. It's been a few years since I was a adjunct professor here, and uh, it's great to be back. In thinking and reflecting upon what I would share this evening, I thought back to my first efforts in administration. It was uh, late 80s, early 90s. And you rarely heard the word bullying and harassment in schools at that time. Children were behavior problems, they needed discipline, they teased each other on the playground. But the topic of bullying, that phrase became very popular in the 1990s. About that time, there was an extremely well-known international researcher named Dan Olveus, O-L-W-E-U-S. Dan did most of his research in Scandinavia, in those countries. And a few educators in the United States learned about his work and said, wow, we really need you here. Clemson University in South Carolina was the first research site in the United States to really study Olveus' work. And it became so popular that in the 1990s, when there were still federal safe schools funds siphoned to each of the 50 states, the Olveus Bully Prevention Program was one of 10 national blueprint programs that you could use with federal dollars to make a difference in behavior in America's schools. At the time, I was a director of curriculum and then assistant superintendent in a um, middle class district. And we started to be concerned about society's baggage creeping into schools. And I call it baggage because I was studying student achievement and recognizing that we try to inculcate growth in four areas, academic, social, emotional, and physical. And I started to study why children weren't achieving and learning. And I started to realize that if there were dysfunctional issues in their homes, or affecting their lives in schools, they would not learn. And that's when we started to talk about bully prevention in the 90s. And I got some grants through the Office of Safe Schools to begin to implement the Olveus Bully Prevention Program in my first district. And I did this at elementary schools and I did this at the middle schools. And some of the wonderful tenants of this program are as follows. It's a school-wide effort, and Lisa shared some of the poignant stories of how children are impacted. And if it's not a school-wide effort, it will not be successful. And by school-wide effort, every single employee, from the principal to the custodian, has to be aware of why we have to prevent bullying and harassment in our schools. When you implement a program like this with fidelity, so it's successful, there's an individual component, there's a classroom component, and a school-wide component. Individual revolves around all the employees in the school. You do an actual anonymous survey when you implement this program. It's anonymous because kids are often reluctant to rat on others. And through this survey that you buy and you receive with the Alveus kit, children talk about where the bullying occurs and have they ever been 
a bully themselves, a victim of bullying, or the, the well-known Alveus term, bystander, meaning you're seeing it and often you're doing nothing. And what we learned back then in the 90s are the places that this occurs. Starting from the moment you're at your bus stop in the morning and you get on the bus, there's no teachers there. The driver has his or her hands on the wheel. They're looking ahead to get you to school safely. But bullying can occur on the bus. In school, it's in places where there's not necessarily teacher supervision every moment. It happens in hallways. It happens in restrooms. It happens in the cafeteria. It happens in gymnasium locker rooms for physical education classes. And so everyone that works in that school needs to be empowered and aware of how to help children. And that children need an adult that they can go to and relate to. When you implement this type of program, as I said, there's the individual component, then there's the classroom component. The classroom can be either a meeting that the teacher has with children as part of even the welcoming every single day, or what's successful with middle school children, where you do discussions during what I'll call an advisory period, okay? And in this advisory period, you're trying to empower youth by having them speak up and tell kids that are bullying others, stop it. This isn't right, leave him alone. And if a kid's books are pushed out of his hand, when he's walking down a hallway at a middle school, stop, yell at the person doing the bullying and pick the child's books up and hand them to that child and make him feel better about himself or herself. When I left my first district, we had successful bully prevention programs in just about all of our elementary schools and our two middle schools. I then went to another district as a su assistant superintendent, slightly more affluent district, between middle class and upper middle class, and they did not have any prevention programs there. And I was able to get some legislative grants to implement it in the four elementary schools in that district and in the middle school. And I'll never forget how empowering it was to see when there were school-wide assemblies, when kids were empowered to raise their hand and say, yes, I have been bullied, or I have bullied, or I have been a bystander of bullying. And that's the most powerful thing, when kids realize that the role of the bystander can stop bullying in that school environment. So in that district, my most powerful implementation was at the middle school level. And just about that time, I decided, okay, I had raised my children. I would go back to get my dissertation completed. And I actually had decided at the time to do an ethnographic case study of the implementation of the Olveus program at my middle school. Because I watched it from nothing to be very successful. And I did a literature review. I was down at the University of Pennsylvania and so excited about this. And then an opportunity presented itself to me to become a superintendent in 2005. And I had to make the decision, do I want to move on to the next step of my life? And if I do, I sadly will have to leave over a year of dissertation research by the wayside and keep it under my hat to use in the future. Because the district I joined did not have a middle school bully prevention program. 
They had dabbled in it at the elementary level, but not as seriously as I had implemented it in two previous districts. And I will never forget during an interview um, when they had teachers and principals to interview the next superintendent, I was asked about bullying and harassment, and I shared what I had done. And at the conclusion of those interviews, the association president, the teacher association president, a middle school special ed teacher said, I hope the board hires you. We need this program in our middle school, desperately. Well, that was one of the first things I did when I was um, selected as superintendent. I got a legislative grant, and we put that program in the middle school. But by the time I was doing that, I had to move on with another dissertation topic because I was finished my classes. And in trying to decide what to do, because I couldn't wait two to three years to see it implemented, my dissertation committee said, what are you seeing in schools that is a problem? I said, well, I'm seeing email harassment of educators. I'm seeing it in all different ways. My teachers are complaining that they're getting emailed by parents and they're being bullied by parents. And teachers were saying, we're also getting bullied by students. Adolescent students that are not afraid to email a teacher very inappropriately and say unbelievable things. And so in putting together my survey for my dissertation, which was, I remember, it went out, it was in June 08. I had befriended a lot of superintendents in the metropolitan Philadelphia area. There are 61 school districts around Philadelphia. And I was fortunate enough to get 37 of them to agree to send out my dissertation survey. And it was in June 2008 two weeks before the end of the school year. Well, if you're educators or counselors, you know what you're doing the end of a school year. You're exhausted. You're, you're planning for final exams. You're assessing whether youngsters need to go to summer school for remediation. You're trying to close out your school year. An amazing thing happened. In two weeks, I received responses from 1,831 educators across the Delaware Valley. It was that powerful from 37 school districts and three intermediate units. It was a real problem in this area. And not only did I ascertain that there was bullying going on of teachers by parents, there was bullying going on by students, and there was colleague on colleague bullying, something I would have never believed would have happened. Teachers or counselors bullying each other and saying very inappropriate things due to the anonymity of email. You could hide behind it, something you would never say in public. And so I decided that I would run with that work and I needed to do something with it. And I remember when I finally finished and got my doctorate in the summer of 2009, this was my address to my entire professional staff and all the employees in the district about what I learned and what we had to do about that. And it has truly made a difference. Um, I have since authored with an attorney a, um, con I'm trying to think of the right phrase this moment, um, a spectrum of responses that educators can use when you are bullied or harassed in your roles, whether you're a guidance counselor, whether you're a teacher, or whether you're a school principal. We can always discipline children 
in the educational setting. We all have discipline policies. But how do you discipline a parent? You can't, okay? Certain school districts, like theirs, has a code of civility. It's great to have, but you can't discipline a parent with that. And so I quickly learned that the best thing to do when you're bullied and harassed electronically is not to respond. Because if you respond, you're going to, it's going to continue. And so it has to stop. And just like children, when they're bullied and harassed electronically, they need to stop and they need to tell someone and it needs to be investigated. And here's where we can empower youth <coughs> as bystanders. If they're getting bullied, okay, they need to tell someone, a friend, a parent, a teacher, a guidance counselor. Teachers need to be allies of children today. They come in with way too much baggage from society. Too many of them are from dysfunctional homes. And in order to empower them so they can learn and achieve and grow in our schools, this has to stop. This past school year, I took a big risk and asked my school board if we could implement an ele electronic devices policy. You might call it a mobile or cell phone policy. We had so many children that were using cell phones in schools illegally. It's supposed to be in their locker or their backpack. Where was it? In their pockets, in their purses, okay? That we were disciplining more kids for cell phone usage in schools and wasting too much instructional time writing referrals to the assistant principal about it. And so last summer with my high school administration and middle school administration, we decided it was time and we worked with an internet attorney to craft an electronic devices policy. And it was board approved this past fall and I'm delighted to tell you it's made an enormous difference in our high school community. We have safe places where they can use mobile devices, whether they have a cell phone, whether they have an Android, whether they have an iPad in school. Places like study halls, the cafeteria, the library, and only in classrooms when teachers permit it for instructional purposes. So when you enter every classroom at our high school, there's a sign, there's a picture of a cell phone. If it's there, it means the teacher will encourage use electronically to engage children in learning. And if there's a line through it, it means you better put it away. Turn it off, keep it on vibrate, keep it away. I think I can count on my hand the number of suspensions, and here we are almost at spring break next week, count on my hand the number of suspensions for cell phone violations this year. They know, because they had to sign an agreement with their parents that if they do anything inappropriate with that device, it will be take, their privilege will be taken away for the rest of the school year. And what it has done is helped to eliminate what we all now know is cyberbullying which is an enormous dilemma for us in schools. It often happens outside at home at night or after school, texting, and the very latest version, sexting, where mostly adolescents take inappropriate photographs of themselves or their friends and send it out virally to their entire listserv on their phone, okay? 
And these are the types of things that are happening, but to prevent it from impacting children's learning in school and empowering our youth, we now have this policy. And I'm proud to say it's working, and we have less instances of discipline in schools, and we have more kids saying to guidance counselors, behavior specialists, and teachers, I was bullied by X. My favorite story, and then I'll stop and we can move on to our next speaker. We um, had a young lady be bullied and harassed on Facebook this past fall, at home, at night. She and the boyfriend broke up, 16, 17 years old, and um, the boy said extremely ugly things about her on Facebook. And it was morphed and viral throughout the entire high school community. And she didn't know about it. And her friends told her walking to school, and she was hysterical. She could not learn in school that day. And her friends went to the guidance counselors and told them, and they went to our high school principal. And this young girl was walking down the hall, being called unbelievable names, such as whore, slut, etc. And she could not learn, and so the young men involved were called to the principal's office, and right in the office had to remove the Facebook postings about this young lady. And they were disciplined for that behavior, even the ones calling her names in school. You'll hear about a lot of lawsuits, a lot of litigation, even up to the Third Circuit Federal Court, which is three states around Pennsylvania about First Amendment rights for students. If you can prove that the behavior caused by cyberbullying impacts the learning in the school environment, you can discipline, okay? If you can't prove it, it won't fly. And the two major Third Circuit cases that were against school districts, it's when students said things about their principals one had Hitler's face morphed on the principal's face because he was a tyrant. And the second was very inappropriate, profane sexual comments about the principal. Both of those cases were overturned by the Third Circuit because they claimed students' learning was not impacted. It was just the principal. And so this is really huge today. Cyberbullying issues are First Amendment issues. And if you're not sure how to handle them, please, please speak to your administrators. And with that, I will stop because I could go on forever. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alicia. Can y'all hear me? I got a soft voice. Y'all can hear me back there? No? Oh, can you pass me? There you go. Sure. Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> As I said before, hi, I'm Alicia, and I'm honored to be here. And for one, it's really important to me, and it means a lot to me for me to be here because I'm a student in the school district. So it's like just me having this time to say what I have to say means a lot, especially for youth, because as though we hear all the time as though, okay, your voice don't mean nothing, or you're just a child. That that. How can I say it? That line is old. Like, <laughs> you, have y'all heard that before? Multiple times, right? How did y'all feel about it? Y'all felt like you was just like, oh, really? Like, I am human, right or wrong? 
So it's like that kind of gets to me. And I know it gets to a lot of my peers because it's a simple fact as though we're human. We have a right. We have a voice. We we know what's going on. And it just, oh, I can go on with it. You just don't know. <laughs> but, um, like, for me, I'm, oh, you just do not know how happy I'm in to be here right now. But it's like youth empowerment. It's like I try to get all my friends and people in my community to get together and show them what's right and what's wrong. By our age, they should know it already, but some people don't want to listen. <laughs> um, it's the simple fact is though, it's a lot, just as they always saying about bullying. Bullying is a big thing, especially for youth. It's like, you don't understand how much bullying really gets to people until you've been bullied. Bulliers, they, they really just need something to do. They need attention. Or they just feel as though, oh, this will be cool. I'll get attention. This, that, and the third. Blase, blase, blase. But it's a simple fact as though it's, it hurts. When you've been bullied, it feels like the world is crashing down on you. If you don't have at least the one person to talk to or just somebody that you know will have open arms to listen, I mean, open arms for you to have a shoulder to lean on or open ears so they can listen to you, it gets to you physically and mentally. Some people have, like, some people's emotions get to them, especially for me personally. It's like, I take things to heart. I don't know how to laugh, joke, and play, but when it is time to down, uh, when it get time for business, I'm for real. It's, and it's just a lot that people don't understand about youth, but it's only that very few, that little percentage that understand how we feel or understand how we think or what's really going on. It's the simple fact is though, youth, youth we get a lot. Because as though, we're, one, we're trying to find out who we really are. We're trying to find out what direction we want to go to. We're trying to focus in school. We're trying to plan our future. But bullying just gets in the way. It's like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, it's just the certain things that people say. Just like, as you were saying before, about the whole situation with Facebook. That's, that's, that's another story, but I'm saying, it's a lot of things that can happen that will affect you in so many different ways. And it's so many different stories that I can tell and so many different things that I know a lot of people can relate to because there's a lot of stories where they're involved. Bullying doesn't happen to just young people. It doesn't happen to just teachers, principals. It happens to everyone if you realize it or not. You may bully somebody and not even know about it. Just having that nice, just being considerate or just saying hello with a smile, it impacts everybody, anybody, especially in youth, because it feels as though that you care. It feels as though, it feels as though, how can I word this? <laughs> it feels as though that everything isn't negative. You never know what people go through. You never know what their home style is, what their lifestyle is. You don't know what's going on in their mind. People, it's just, Oh, it's just, oh. <laughs> but it's a simple fact as though 
it's a lot of things that youth can do, especially I'm in this organization called PSU, as in Philadelphia Student Union. We do a lot of work around it. Um, we just try to get as much as as much youth as possible, as many young people as possible. We try to show other youth as though that you don't have to try to get attention by being mean or bullying people or by hurting somebody's feelings or just get all this negative attention. You can make a change, a powerful change, a positive change, something that will actually help your future and not put you down in a hole. A lot of you don't understand as though, like just because you're young doesn't mean that that's not going to affect you when you get older. It's the simple fact is that you have to prepare as young as possible. Not saying you too gotta read a college book. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> it's the simple fact is though, you have to understand, basically the main thing is you have to understand right from wrong. You have to understand as though, hmm, how can I say this? Oh, I'm bad with words. Um, <laughs> basically you have to understand as though, you can do something positive except instead of bullying people. Because some people, it drives them to the edge. One, suicidal, that drives people very to the edge just by bullying. Making people just snap out. Just, it shows the worst of you. So it's like, I try to, like, I try to, I try to do as much as possible. I try to get along with everybody. I try to influence everybody to get along. I don't like problems. I don't like fights. I don't like bullying. It's it's not worth it because it's not going to get nobody nowhere. It's not going to get you a better future. It's not going to get you a job. It's not going to pay your bills. You need to do something productive. We need to do something that's actually going to help us, not put us down, not just say, oh, hey, look, I'm over here. Oh, hey, look, I'm doing this in a negative way. I understand people want attention, but you can do it in multiple different ways. You shouldn't have to do it negatively. You can do it by community service. You can do it by just focusing in school, having that relationship with your teacher. Just having the right people to talk to is the best thing as possible, especially having teachers on your side as though knowing that your teacher care. Having the counselors, that's the number one thing that students really need in their schools, especially with these budget cuts. We're not having what we really need. We're not having the resources that we need. Like SSC school, student success centers, there are places where students can be, or after school programs is where students can be instead of out on the street getting in trouble. The more free time students really have is the more time just to get in trouble. So it's like, it's like it's a lot of issues it's a lot of problems it's a lot of things that go on especially a lot behind the scenes especially when you don't have the staff there or the people there say actually want to listen to you or actually listen to the uh listen to the story behind the scenes just judging it by his book just say as though if it's a fight you never know why the fight happened or somebody flipping out you never know why they flipping out but once you actually listen to the story or listen to what really happened, it's like you just, oh, this, this person went through a rough. I understand. Put yourself in their shoes. See how you'll feel if that happens. Just like if you want to bully somebody, just think about how it feels to be bullied. 
that's why I love to say treat people how you want to be treated. It's multiple different things that you can do to put somebody down, but also put somebody up. And it's, it's the best, and the best thing for me that I say that anybody can do is just listen. Listen to what's really going on. To understand how, understand how people feel. Realize that, realize it's not, it's not important to put people down and make yourself look better. It's making yourself look worse if you really think about it. Cause then if you say, oh yeah, I did such and such and such and I made them cry, that's, it's not making you look any better. It's not making you, well, if it make you feel any better, then I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> it's the simple fact is though, you always need somebody there to listen, somebody there to talk to. Cause if you can't focus on anything, if you can't function right, cause you already know it's gonna happen, you already know how it's gonna feel when you get bullied, it's, it's heartbreaking. It tears you apart inside. It makes you think, I wonder what they're gonna say today. I wonder if it's gonna take it to the next level. If they're gonna hit me, I wonder what they're gonna say to me today. It's a lot of things. People function different ways. You never know how people will function by certain things. It's, okay, for example, I know a friend. I know a friend, she was bullied for, quite some time, for about two to three years. She was quiet, and she was like, I'm not gonna say she was too friendly, but she really didn't talk to nobody. But when you actually go over and talk to her, she was a nice person. But because she was quiet, she got bullied. Continuously, continuously, continuously. But when she finally snapped and got mad, she got suspended, she got in trouble. But then nobody wanted to listen. So it made her very mad. It made her, it just made her so furious. It's just like she gave up on everything. She stopped doing her work. She stopped coming to school after a while. And then from there, she just went ghost. You don't understand how it is or what can actually happen or just how, how it hurts people. So it's like if you can, if you can just influence people to not bully, or if you can just do things to just help youth understand right from wrong, if they didn't learn it by now, or if you can just show or give an example or be a role model of a good influence of somebody that's there to listen, somebody there that they can talk to, somebody there that can actually give good advice, point you to the right direction, not somebody that's gonna sit there and try to show you the wrong way down the path so you don't have the life that you really know that you can live. It's kinda, it's kinda sad. This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.